James, uh, part seven. We're in this sort of a weird transitional period in the book of James. Uh, we started it last week. It's sort of a, a call to action that he makes towards the end of uh, his, the first chapter of his letter. And if you were with us last week, you know that the first part of that call to action was to, to make a commitment. He says, you must humbly accept the word that has been planted within you. And then, today, we move on to the second part of that call to action where he says, not only do you have to accept that word, not only do you have to say, okay, I'm in, I want this to be a part of my life, I want to do this, but then you have to humbly submit to the word that is planted deep within the pages of the Bible. And James uses this, this metaphor of using the Bible as a mirror. This is what he says in James chapter 1, verse 22. He says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for it. Now, this is fascinating to me because James isn't saying, well, let me, let's look at what James is saying. He's saying, if you follow this perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, don't forget what you heard, then blessings will come to you. James says it, uh, Jesus says something very similar in John chapter 13 during the Lord's Supper. He's been talking about self-sacrifice, he's been talking about service to others, he's been talking about love for others, and then he says this really interesting thing. He says, you know what you should be doing, now do it. That is the path of blessing. And what I've noticed over the years is that there is a place, a, a path upon which flows the blessing, the power, the knowledge, the wisdom, the very presence of God. And if you want those things in your life, then you've got to get on that path. And James kind of illustrates what that path is, the same path that Jesus talked about, the path of, of following in the footsteps of Jesus. You know, a lot of times we pray and we're like, you know, Lord, I want your blessings. I want your power unleashed in my life, but I don't really want to get on that path. Why won't he let me have those things if I'm over here doing my own thing? And it's like saying, why doesn't the sun shine at night? You know, that's not the way the universe is set up. Same thing is true with God's blessings and power and knowledge and wisdom and all those things. They flow in a certain place. Anybody can get them. They're available to everybody. All you've got to do is get on that path. And James is going to describe what that path looks like in the rest of the book when it comes to how we... How we handle our thoughts, how we handle what we say, how we handle, how we treat each other, especially people that are, that have less power than we do. He is going to go through just about every, every part of human existence and say, here's how you should handle this. And so if this is something like, if last week you were like, okay, I'm in, I'm just not sure exactly what that's going to look like. The rest of the book of James is going to explain what that's going to look like. And what James is saying here is, you can use God's word, this book, the Bible, as a sort of mirror. Now the Bible is 
As far as I'm concerned, the most amazing book that has ever been written. It was written over a period of 1,600 years by over 40 different authors. And those 40 different authors were, well, there were tax collectors and fishermen and doctors. There were kings. There were peasants. There were farmers. There were administrators. There, I mean, soldiers, poets, you, you name it. God would use anybody. These people, no matter what walk of life they were in, if they were willing, then God would, would speak into their hearts and inspire them, and they would write out the words of this book, which all point to the same thing. This man named Jesus, who came so that we could be brought back to God. That is the entire witness of the Bible. And a lot of times people will argue over which translation of the Bible is the best one. You know, as far as I'm concerned, I don't really care what version of the Bible you use because no matter what version you use, they are all going to give you the same overarching idea. We messed up. It separated us from God. And he began the process of setting everything up to send his son. That's what the entire Old Testament is about. Everything in the Old Testament is about God getting to that one point in human history that we're going to celebrate in two weeks where the his son would be killed, would be buried, and then resurrected on the third day, and then make it possible for all of us to live glorious lives with the hope of eternal life with him forever. That's the, the, that, no matter what version of the Bible you read, that is the message that comes across. There are, it's been translated into over 2,800 languages. It's, there are like approximately 6.5 billion Bibles right now, printed Bibles on the face of this planet. The next closest uh, book that, that there's the most copies of is 200 million. And that, I don't know why, but it's Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities. I was like, that's kind of weird. I don't know why that is. I don't know. I just know that there's 6.5 billion of these Bibles. It's the best-selling book of all time Every day, every week, every month, every year, it doesn't matter what else is going on, it is at the top of the bestseller list, which is staggering when you think about it. I don't know if you've ever sat down and just opened it up and started reading it, but when you start, it can be very, very intimidating, especially if you start in the Old Testament. That's what I did when I was like, okay, I'm going to find out what God wants from me. Open it up to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created, and it goes through this stuff. I'm like, okay, I know this story. I know a lot of those stories in Genesis, but pretty soon you get to a place where you're like, what is going on here? What does this mean about my life? Well, how? I have no idea. Do not start in the Old Testament, all right? Start with the Gospels. Start reading about who Jesus is. Start reading the book of James. It's incredibly easy to understand. It's not easy to put into practice. That, it's like, I, I read the book of James. Pretty soon I'm like, whoa, I know, I'm, I'm seeing a couple of things that God is calling me to do. But man, I, that's, that's going to be tough. I guess I'm going to need some help. So this book, James says, can be used as a mirror. And we're going to spend the rest of the day kind of looking at how that works. Now, um, the reason this is so important is because... You know, I, I used to think that rules were really, especially God's rules, were just about busy work. You know, just about him keeping us busy so that we wouldn't get ourselves into trouble. Or sometimes I would actually think that maybe the rules were to keep me from having a good time. Uh, but what I've learned over time is that the rules are there for a reason, that they're actually kind of important. Let's watch this. 
Now, James says this law, the rules, are what keep us free. They're what set us free. I never used to want to put laws and freedom together in the same sentence. I, as a matter of fact, I thought laws were sort of the thing that imprison us, the thing that, that, that keep us from being free. I thought growing up in church, I thought that the four walls of the church were sort of like a prison and that we had to endure that because that was the only way you could get to heaven. But that the people outside that were doing all the fun things, they were the ones that were truly free. And so when I was old enough, I decided to, you know, sort of shrug off the shackles that my church and my family and, and, and even my school had put on me. And I went out to be free. And you know what was really interesting as I look back on it now is that there comes a day, and it's a subtle shift, but it's a really important one, when suddenly the very things that represent freedom to us end up enslaving us. And I used to wouldn't have put the concept of rules and laws, God's law, together with the word freedom, but I would now. And what I see now over and over and over again is that God, what God tells us to do, what God tells us to stay away from, what God tells us to chase after, it is all so that we can remain free. And so what will it look like? What, would, what does using the Bible as a mirror look like? Well, I don't know if you've ever heard the three rules of, or laws of real estate. It's location, location, location. The three rules of using the Bible as a mirror would be reflection, reflection, reflection. And so what does that mean? Um, that's what the three points will kind of explain to us as we go along. So first reflection is when I, I use the Bible as a mirror to look in its pages for my own reflection, to see myself in there. And I guess the word that would, the key word for this would be listening. Um, it's, it's looking at the Bible and saying, tell me what you want me to do. Tell me how you want me to live. In James chapter 1, verse 22, he says, don't just listen to God's word. But you've got to start listening, right? It can't stop there, but that's where it has to begin. Otherwise, you have no idea what God wants you to do. Great story in the Old Testament about a boy named Samuel. And he's a little boy. He is uh, taken to the tabernacle in Shiloh where uh, God's priest, Eli, is kind of running things. And he's getting old, though. He needs a, somebody to follow him. And so Samuel comes as a little boy and is going to be trained in how to become a man of God. Now the Bible says it had been a long time since God had spoken audibly to Israel. But that first night, uh, maybe it wasn't the first night, but it was early on. Samuel is asleep in the tabernacle. And I, I had never noticed this before this week. I'm reading it, getting ready for this lesson. He is sleeping next to the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle, which is crazy, right? I mean, Indiana Jones, what wouldn't he give to be in Samuel's place, right? Sleeping next to the Ark of the Covenant. But that's where Samuel is. He is, a, well, he's not asleep yet, but he's laying down trying to go to sleep. Eli's in the other room asleep. Samuel hears his name called. He jumps up. He runs into Eli's room. He says, what is it? Eli says, I didn't call you. What are you waking me up for? Go back to bed, kid. So Samuel goes back, lays down, hears his name again. Jumps up, runs into Eli's room. What is it? What is it? I heard my name again. I didn't call you. This happens one more time. And on the third time, Eli says, I think I know what's going on. I think God is speaking to you. So here's what you do. You go back, you lay down, and the next time you hear your name called, I want you to say these words. 
And Samuel goes back and lays down, and God calls him a fourth time. And in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10, Samuel replies, Speak, your servant is listening. And God speaks to Samuel, and Samuel's life has changed. The course of the history of Israel has changed. The course of all human history has really changed because one little boy said these incredibly powerful words. Now, I tell you all of that just to say this. Every time you open the Bible, this is something, if, if what you want is to get on that path of blessing, right? If what you want is for God's power to flow into your life and for you to become mature and strong and able to leave things behind that you never thought you could leave behind and move into things that you never thought you'd move into, these are the words that you should speak when you sit down and you open up the Bible. Speak. Your servant is listening. And then see what God says. If you come to something that you don't understand, put a pin in it. You can think about that later. Keep going. Pretty soon you will find something that you'll be like, ooh, okay. Last week when we were going through that lesson, it started out with uh, James saying, everyone must be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. I have a feeling if we were... No matter who it is that was here last week, if we said, speak and I will listen, when we hear those words, our toes are getting stepped on in some way, in some manner, right? And we're going, oh, that's going to mean a change for me, right? That's listening to God. Then there's a second reflection that you need to do. And this would be, once I've found myself, once I've heard something from God in the pages of the Bible, looked for my reflection there, then I reflect on what I've heard. And I guess this would be, the word would be meditation or thinking about it or chewing on it or, you know, somehow trying to figure out, okay, so I've heard from God. Now, what, what would that look like in my life with my relationships? How would that change how I live my life, my relationships with my spouse, with my kids, with my parents, with my friends, neighbors, coworkers, uh, people at school, whoever you have a relationship with, God cares deeply about how you interact with that other human being. He cares deeply about it. And not mainly because of the, what it does for the other human being, but mainly because of what will happen in you if you do what he asks you to do and what will happen in you if you don't. And so you've got to reflect on what you've read, what you've heard, what you've seen, and think about what is that going to mean for me. Bible says that reflection Meditation is the secret of success in life. Psalm chapter 1 is an incredibly powerful and information-packed few verses of Scripture that give the key to making lasting changes in our lives. If you've ever tried to make a change in your life and you haven't had success, pay close attention to what this psalm says. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Happy are those who don't listen to the wicked, who don't go where sinners go, and who don't do what evil people do. Now I want to stop right there real quick and just say this. I spent a couple of years trying to stop doing certain things in my life that were destructive and toxic and causing all kinds of pain and heartache, not just in my life, but in the life, lives of people that were close to me. But I didn't, I didn't... I, I didn't change up who I listened to or where I went or what I did. I just thought, well, I'm just going to stop doing the things that are destructive and keep living my life exactly the same way that I've been living it. It never works. 
As soon as I recognized that I needed to totally change up my life, things started to fall into place. Happy are those who don't listen to the wicked, who don't uh, go where sinners go, who don't do what sinners do. But they love the Lord's teachings, and they think about those teachings day and night. They are strong like tree planted by a river. Tree produces fruit in season, its leaves don't die, and everything they do will succeed. Happy, strong, successful. That's what this psalm promises. I mean, what else is there, right? That's what every human being is looking for. No matter what it is, even if it's dysfunctional things that we do, we are trying to be happy, strong, and successful. It just doesn't usually work out when we chase the things that, well, when we follow our own plan, right? Just doesn't seem to work out. And so this step is reflecting, thinking about what I've heard from God, saying, okay, what would that mean in my life? What would that look like? And there's a third step that we'll get to in just a second. But before we get there, I want to just leave you one warning. It's found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, don't always believe everything you hear just because someone says it's a message from God. Test it first to see if it really is. Now, there is a process that the Bible sort of gives you um, for kind of testing these things, trying to see, okay, is, is this idea that I've got from God or is this something that would, because there are lots of voices that are competing for your attention. Most of them are screaming at you. God's voice, the Bible says, is typically a small, still voice that you've got to get really quiet and listen intently for and get, get practiced at hearing his voice. And so, I don't have time to go through. It's the, there's a seven-step filter that I've kind of found in the Bible. It starts with going to the scriptures and saying, do the scriptures agree with what I think I'm hearing? Because God, you know, it's like if you get this idea, I should kill my neighbor. I wonder if that's from God. You know, you go to the Bible and it says, do not murder. You know, it's like I can pretty much confidently say, nope, that one's not from God, right? <laughs> but there's, sometimes you'll read things in the Bible and you'll think, Maybe I should do that. Maybe this is what that means for me. There's, I'll just give you one other one that's maybe the second most powerful part of this filter, and that is going to people that you trust and admire and respect and say, here's what I think I'm hearing from God. What do you think? Now, it doesn't mean that they will agree with you, okay? And it doesn't mean that if they disagree with you that necessarily they're right and you're wrong. Even if 10 people disagree with you, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're wrong and they're right. But it's something that you need to go, hmm, I need to take a step back and really think about this then. Really pray about this some more. On Thursday this week, the devotionals go through the seven-step uh, filter process. So if that's something you're interested in, grab the devotionals on your way out or uh, look for it on Thursday on Facebook. But uh, don't just think because you've got this idea that that's a message from God, okay? And then the third step, the third reflection is reflecting on what I've heard to the world. L living it out. I guess you would call this one implementation or application. Uh, this is, you've, you've, you've heard from God, you've thought about what that might mean in your life, You've figured out, okay, this is a message from God, so now what's that going to mean? I'm going to do my best to live it out in this world. Um, James says in James chapter 1, verse 25, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free 
And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for it. In other words, the more you try to live out what you think you're hearing from God, the more God will bless you for it. And the more that you will reflect the image of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, All of us, all of us, can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him, reflect His glory even more. As you do what you think you're supposed to do, it's like polishing that mirror and making it brighter and brighter and clearer and clearer so that people will more and more see the image of Jesus in your life. But how do we express that? How does Jesus' image get expressed from us into the world? Well, there's lots of different ways. One way, I don't know if you know who the Christian comedian Tim Hawkins is. One way that he expressed his, uh, you know, reflected the image of Jesus to the world was through uh, putting his life verse underneath his, uh, sit, underneath his autograph when he would sign uh, things for people at the end of his conferences. Uh, but you got to make sure you put the right verse down. Let's watch this. But I was in church a few years ago. I was in this big, it was like 1,500 people, and it went really, it went pretty good. I did okay, and uh, there was a big line of people asking for my autograph after the show. And I'm like, I was homeschooled. I could do this. So the first lady, she walks up to me. She goes, would you put your favorite Bible verse underneath your name for me? And I was like, uh-huh. So I took it, and I was like, Tim, my favorite verse is Psalm 34, verse 8. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. But that night, I forgot the verse. I just blank. You know how sometimes your mind blanks? You know, like when you were dressing today. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's just like, what am I doing? And so anyway, I was like, I had to pick. I can't just write the Bible. You know, I knew it was a psalm. So the psalm, I just picked a psalm. So I picked, okay, Psalm 38, 7. I said, that can't be a bad one. So I, like an idiot, I did them all like that. The Tim Hawkins, Psalm 38, 7. <laughs> I'm driving home that night and I'm like, oh no. I hope that was a good verse. Oh, Lord, help me. So I get home and I look up Psalm 38, 7 in my Bible. And to my horror, it says, Lo, I have a painful disease in my loins. Yeah, yuck it up, Christians. That's real funny, isn't it? Lo, I have a painful disease in my loins. Did you know that's in the Bible? I do now. And I signed it a hundred times and sent it out into my own little mission field. Take the word of my loin problem. Because you know they looked it up when they went home. You know they did. You see a lady, come on, y'all. We're going to read this first. Turn the TVs off. Sit around. I'm going to read it. It's his life first. I think I got it here. Shh. Lo, I have a painful disease. I shook his hand. I... <laughs> Can you believe that? Some of you don't get that. Lo, I have a painful disease in my loins. You ain't gonna see that verse cross-stitched on a pillow. <laughs> Unless it's a special pillow, I guess. I don't know. 
I'm still get, trying to get my mom to cross-stitch that on a pillow for me. She won't, hasn't done it yet, but someday. When we think about, well, when we look for our reflection in the scriptures and then hear from God, reflect on what that's going to mean in my life and then reflect that to the world, it's the way that God creates the image of his son within us. Um, throughout the Old Testament, the prophets, even the angels, they saw God at work and they could see that he was doing something, but they, they didn't know what. The Bible says they were dying to know what God was doing, but it was a mystery to them, the mystery of God. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, the Bible says that God has chosen to make known the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, I used to think the hope of glory was like just the hope of getting to heaven, and that's part of it, but it's much more than that. It's, it's the hope of living a glorious life, a, a life of power and wisdom and strength, a life where you look at yourself in the mirror and say, yeah, I, I like who I'm becoming. I'm not where I want to get to, but man, I, I'm on my way. I know how to get there. I know where the path is, where God's blessings and power flow, where I become strong and powerful and mature. And the Bible is the primary way that God gets Jesus into you. Reflecting, 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 right? Looking in it and listening, then thinking about what that's going to mean, and then doing it. And Christ in you is going to look different than Christ in me. It's going to look different than it looks in Pastor Jeff, than it looks in Pastor Mitchell. You, you look at people who, who, who are on this road, they are as different as people are different. There is no one cookie-cutter shape for people who are, who, who are Christ followers. There's not one. They are all different. And God did that on purpose. And the Bible is the tool that he uses to make that a reality in our lives. One more story and we're done. There was a guy named Emile Callier. He was a Frenchman born in the late 1800s. He fought in World War I. He was brought up in a pagan, humanistic house that was incredibly hostile to Christianity and the Bible. And when he was fighting in World War I, he was just convinced that God was, a, he, he believed in God, he just thought God was a horrible, horrible tyrant. Because he thought if, if there was a God, this stuff wouldn't be happening. He ended up uh, being injured, he was in a hospital. The woman he would eventually marry was his nurse. But she was a devoted follower of Jesus. And when they were getting ready to get married, he said, you know, it's okay that you're a Christian, I can, I can handle that but there will be no religion in our home. There won't even, I won't even allow a Bible in our home. And she said, okay. And they got married and they had a child. And, and what Emil started to realize is that his wife was growing. She was being shaped. She was being challenged. She was being inspired by this ancient book. And so he decided he needed a book of his own that would that would inspire, challenge, and, and shape him. And so he started, he bought this, uh, this leather-bound book with blank pages, and he called it The Book That Understands Me. And he would, anytime he read something that inspired him, challenged him, moved him, uh, he would write it in this book. 
And he decided he wouldn't go back and read what he had written until he was all done. And then he would have a book that would, that would, like his wife, shape him, inspire him, move him. And he said he finished it up uh, one night, and the next day he and his wife had a really bad day. And she went off to church with their baby, and he went out and sat underneath a tree, and he was, opened up the book that understands me and started reading, and he said it did nothing for him. He was like, I could remember when I wrote it down. I could remember how inspired I was when I wrote it down. But he says, what I started to realize is, over the time since I had written those words down, I had changed, and the book that understands me, it couldn't change with me. He goes, I was so upset. He said, my wife came home. She looked like she felt better. I didn't feel better. I felt worse. He says, I threw the book that understands me in the fire. And she said, what are you doing? And he was like, that book doesn't understand me. I guess I will never find a book that will shape and inspire and move me the way that you've got a book that does that. And she says, pulls out of her bag a New Testament and says, there might be one. And she was afraid he was going to explode at her, but he didn't. He was very excited. He took the, the Bible from her. It was just the New Testament, but he ran into his office. He opened it up to the book of Matthew, and he started in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, as I read the Beatitudes, I didn't even understand them, but something kind of caught fire within me. He would eventually become a follower of Jesus. He would eventually go to seminary. He would eventually end up teaching at Princeton Theological Seminary in the United States. And he eventually wrote a book called My Journey into Light. And I just want to read you this one quote from that book about that first day when he opened up the Bible. He says, I read deeply into the night, mostly the Gospels. And as I read, the one of whom they spoke, the one who spoke in them and through them, and the one who was depicted in them came alive to me. And that night he gave his life to Jesus, but he said, I spent the rest of my life always vaguely worried that I would open up the Bible and it wouldn't understand me anymore. He goes, but even though I kept changing and the Bible never did change, it never lost its ability to change me, inspire me, move me, challenge me. And that's this book. That's this book that is almost 2,000 years old now, the last, last book written almost 2,000 years ago. The book that, that we look at and we're like, I don't see how this is going to help anything. You use that book as a mirror and it will change everything. It will put Christ in you. It will polish that mirror. It will make his image, his reflection in you brighter and brighter and brighter, but you've got to use it. You've got to listen got to reflect on what you've heard and then you've got to reflect that to the world reflect 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 let's pray lord we're so thankful for your son we're so thankful for his word and so today we come to you lord and say speak for we are listening show us who you want us to be show us how you want us to get there and then show us what that's going to look like in our lives and we will do our best in jesus name we pray amen